Jewish Frame, Episode 5, AI, Artificial Intelligence. Sometimes I just put on the Bible. And I, yeah, if you download the Holy Bible, it's free. And you, you can listen to... Like an audiobook? You can listen to the whole Bible. Any chapter... Read by whom? I have a whole bunch of options. Depends on what translation you want. And you can listen to it and just go to sleep. So often I'll just put on the Bible and I'll go to sleep listening That's to nice. the Bible. Yeah, it's lovely. And, it, it, you know, sometimes it's really boring and sections and you fall right asleep. So there you go. But sometimes it does get a little too interesting and then I have ideas for sermons and then I'll... That's a pain. All right, so why don't we begin the next episode? Okay. This is The Jewish Frame, a Jewish podcast about movies and a movie podcast about Jewishness. I'm Ben Shin. And I'm Rabbi Dan Ain. And we are going to be talking about AI, artificial intelligence. We This came up in our last episode. We were trying to figure out what to watch. And you had talked about Kubrick. I was like, what, what thing do you could talk about? Anything Jewish do you have with Kubrick? And well, also we Spielberg came up because last one we did was on an American Tale, which was produced by Spielberg. And so I said, well, why don't we we could do a twofer because this movie involved both Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg, and I think those two are probably two of the greatest filmmakers of the second half of the twentieth century, and both Jewish. So here we are. Indeed, what year was this movie? 2001. See, I had a huge phase in my law school. When I went to law school from 98 to 2001, and there was a video store. I lived uh, above a hair salon on Beacon Street in Brookline. And then next door was a video store. And I used to spend all day in that video store. And I just went on a crazy, I wrote a couple of movies and I've got very much into Kubrick. And this was around the time where the story of AI was coming up and Spielberg was working on it and he was picking up on Kubrick's, because Kubrick was gonna make this movie. And then- Worked he, on it. And left it and then Spielberg picks it up, yeah, right? Kubrick worked on it for like 15, 20 years. That was his process. He would work. And apparently the story, what we talked about the last time was that Kubrick had worked on a Holocaust movie, but then after Schindler's List, he shifted directions. But one of the other movies was AI, which he had worked on for a long time, based on a short story. And after he died, Spielberg picked it up. So I was, I mean, this was, I was very excited for this movie to come out. Well, Kubrick handed it to him. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, Kubrick actually asked Spielberg to take it on. And mostly because of the effects. So what I heard was that Kubrick had, you know, wanted to make a movie of this story by Brian Aldiss that was called uh, Super Toys Last All Summer Long. I think that was the title. And you can read it. Actually, there's a, I just found it online on like a uh, Wired magazine. Does issue. it bear they any relationship it. to the film? It's the beginning. It's the, it's basically... So, but it's a very, very short story. But it's it's sort of the first section of the film. I mean, it just sets up the premise. 
basically. Well, it that- is interesting that the movie begins with a dissertation. So you don't often see that in a movie. I don't want to jump the gun. No, on no, no. You. That's not the story. The, really, the short story is just uh, a boy is in a house and his parents are getting ready for a dinner party or something. And the father is involved in robotics. And it's sort of a twist ending that there's a reveal that the boy is himself a robot. Gotcha. And that's the whole gotcha. that's the whole thing. Although there is one part of it that does literally show up in the film. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So he wanted to make a, a, a movie based on the story. And he was like, but I can't. How do we do the robot? How do we do all the robots? Because the technology was not good enough to be able to realize the the robots and he actually tried to make he thought oh well we'll have a robot as the character <laughs> and they actually tried to build a robot boy oh, God. like a sort of animatronic what was that uh data analyzer oh yeah <laughs> you remember that movie from the 80s was, was that but that was a actor wasn't yes, it of course yeah 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 but they they were like, oh, we'll have an actual animatronic thing be the main character. <laughs> and they, did, they actually tried it. I think they built something. Oh, it was like, oh, this work. is awful. Yeah. But even so, Kubrick was like, yeah, I can't really do justice to the technology. Little like, did he know Spielberg was unable to do justice of the, the thought process or the philosophy. So, well, I mean, I guess there's a trade-off there. But the effects... <laughs> but the effects look great. The effects and look great. And that first scene when John Hurt is in giving his dissertation, I love a movie that can begin with a dissertation. That's confidence. That is confidence. We're going to begin in a dark room with a professor well, speaking about the nature of existence. There is existence. a part before that. You want to get into it? Go. Cool. Okay opens on the flood so there are i think some ways we can get biblical with this i'm going to encourage you to get biblical with this film it opens with the flood you see waves you just see the ocean filling the whole screen and you have a voiceover from ben kingsley saying the climate disasters the world is uh flooded or much of the world we've lost new york yes and amsterdam and a handful of other cities they're gone and but there are some places in the developed world where the government's been able to keep things under control and keep people safe by limiting the number of children people can have and by building just robots to take all the to take the the place of the people because the robots use fewer resources it doesn't really make sense. No, I'm not going to think that hard about. I'm this. guessing creating and running robots is actually fairly energy intensive. One would imagine, but it doesn't matter. So that's the opening, and then you get the cut to William Hurt, who is a Professor Hobby. Who, which is, uh, by the way, I believe was Kubrick's production company was called like Hobby Films or something. So that's a little nod to Stanley Kubrick. And he is, yes, he's speaking to a room full of people at Cybertronics company about how they'd be making robots, but all their robots just don't really approach humanity. And he wants to build a robot that can love. Correct. 
and love. Yes. And by the way, I have to say that the special effects on the female assistant. Amazing. I, I still hold up. You can. I mean, they I, still hold up, I which is crazy when you think it's 20 years old. Not a lot of tech holds up from 20 years. So, I no, mean, I watched go that. His, go look at a Star Wars. I watched <laughs> that multiple times. You can't it's see. It's really seamless. Because the you see this woman and she's sitting in a chair and then he reaches his hand in her mouth and he like pushes a button in there. And then her face opens up to reveal the robotics underneath and then he's done. And then the face closes up again and she's talking again and you cannot see the seams. You cannot see- Kubrick was right. It was very well done. You cannot see the transition <laughs> between- Yes, a, The woman's face and whatever it is that's lifting up, it's amazing. You couldn't do it any better now. No, I don't think you could. It's pretty- it's pretty great. And it, it kind of at least very early on shows you... We're, like, in, a, we're in a different we're, movie here. We're not messing around That's right. with that stuff. Yeah, all, and we start with Ben Kingsley. First of all, yeah. we're also not messing around. He's our voiceover guy. Yeah, you got some serious <laughs> By the way, talent. there's some serious talent all throughout. Robin Williams is serious talent all yeah. throughout this movie, which is crazy. But I, I mean, a movie that's self-confident enough to begin with a dissertation is fascinating. It always makes me think of Citizen Kane. I always think of Kane. Yeah, which has that big piece of exposition in the in right the at the top where they're all watching a film. Whenever I see a movie do that, I think of Kane. Yeah, I, he's talking about love. Is love the one? How do you? Well, this is the whole movie going forward. You know, how can you teach a, a robot to love? And that the missing element for all of our artificial intelligence is pathos, I suppose. And also that love is the key. Yeah, this never makes any sense. I mean, the, the movie, I mean, we'll get into the philosophical overtones of this, but the movie is uncompelling philosophically. We'll talk about it, I'm sure. <laughs> so you get the dissertation, but what I was saying is that the, the, and the part of this that, well, a part of this that I'm not, I don't see quite how it makes sense is that Professor Hobby seems to feel that if you can get the machine to love. That's right. You're done. They, basically, I, I find that's that it. So frustrating. That unlocks basically everything, everything that consciousness and everything that is unique to humanity. If you can, I mean, it's sort of interesting, but I don't know if it really holds up. But he's because what he seems to be talking about is not just love, but. I mean, does, does Haley Joel Osment have love for Monica? Is it love? Would you describe the emotion that he has for that character love? Or what? Programmed need? It's hard to tell. Well, let's move on. Let's get to Haley Joel Osment, who is the star of this film. And just who is fantastic. Just I have phenomenal. to say, I, I'm watching this movie, and at one point I'm like, Oh, that's Haley Joel Osment. He's acting. That's how That's how I saw him as a robot. It's really... Where is he today? Because... Well, he's doing stuff. That's a tremendous performance. He never really made the transition. I from... felt the actors were much better than the script here because Haley Joel is fantastic. I think this movie is imperfect and a bit of a patchwork and sometimes not quite coherent, but 
there are, I think, really good parts. And I think it's very, very interesting. And I admire the ambition. I love it's, it. It's amazingly I ambitious. I love it. You, I love it. It's outrageously ambitious. Yeah. And That's so correct. when you're outrageously That's ambitious. Correct. Sometimes you fall short. And I guess I've always like, I'm disappointed in the ways he fell short. Because like I was, I remember looking forward to this movie, like the whole thing, going and seeing it in the theater. High expectations, I think, ruined it for me. And watching it again recently, it's... It goes down pretty well. The movie carry. I I I don't remember. I I thought I was going to watch it again, and it would be terribly long. And I, this felt like half the time of watching an American Tale. It works on at least some level. I would say some parts work a lot better than other parts. So let's let's get into it. So we hear the dissertation, and then they're like, "Oh, we've been working so hard." Then it's like, "What like?" 20 weeks later or 40, 40 weeks later or something, right? And they're like, oh, we've, you know, we've got the robot now, but we need a family, family right. to, to try the prototype with. And we're having trouble. But we think we found somebody. And we, meanwhile, we've seen Monica and Martin visit their son, who's in this sort of cryogenic chamber. Correct. Because he's in a coma. And the doctor says, look, the kid's been like this for, I don't know, years. And, you know, he's gone. Remember the word? The, what word? Pending. They said he's yes, pending. he's pending. Yes. And the doctor's like, yeah, and it's not. Because really, in, any other, in an earlier time, this kid would really be dead. And he is more or less dead. But he's not really dead. And so I'm not worried about him because he's a, he's gone. I'm worried about your wife because she's not able to let go of him. And you see her there reading to her son who's in a coma and she's reading uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Robin Hood of Sherwood, I think, is the, the title that she's reading to her son. And then, so then you, you cut back to uh, Hobby and his people and they're like, okay, we think we found somebody and it's of course, that family. And the next thing is the father, Martin, is talking to the wife and he's like, don't kill me. And he opens the door and you see in silhouette the boy walking in and he looks sort of, you know, you see this sort of very alien, slim alien, alien looking figure. Yeah. Alien figure. Very cheap. Little very cheap, cheap foreshadowing. Yeah. So he walks in and he, I'm not quite sure what this is about. He steps down onto the floor and then he steps back and he's not quite sure whether he should come in, whether he's in or he's out. Should he walk in there? And he says, I like your floor. And the wife then, the wife, Monica, she freaks out. She's like, how could you bring him in here? He's not my son. No robot can replace my son. And she's a little histrionic and it's still too much. And <laughs> But eventually, right, she's like, fine. They, he, he joins them. And then there's this whole first stretch where it's her and him, right? She's a home alone with this boy robot. And it's almost, it's like a horror movie. It plays, it's like The Shining. They play something. hide and go seek. They play, she shuts him in the closet because he's freaking her out. And then she comes back to him. Who knows how much later? And he's like, is this a game? It's like, yes, hide and seek. But this whole first part is sort of, uns I felt like unsettled i think that was the point yeah i think it's supposed to unsettle you i thought that i mean 
it was effective in that way. Can you replace a, a, a child who's uh, very sick with a robot? And can you socialize that robot in a way that it feels normal to have a robot child around the house? Um, and Haley Joel plays it great. I think he plays that all of those interactions really well. He doesn't blink yes. in the entire film. Is that true? He does not blink once. Ah! He's also he like blink. kind of cross-eyed, which really works well because it looks sort of unhuman. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And no, he plays that all well. He plays it straight. But you know it's not going to end well. Like, you know from the beginning because the whole thing is set up sort of like a horror movie with him as the monster like oh this is not good but you don't you almost feel like he's the danger yeah you know what so let's criticize spielberg i didn't you know i guess that's what he wants me to feel when he takes out the scissors to cut her hair because that would be yes the climax yes. of the horror movie yes so of course, what happens in the interim is that the son gets better. Their son, which is inevitable, sure, obviously. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry. The husband isn't Martin. The husband is Henry. The son is Martin. So the and son, the son comes in and is just masterful in treating the kid like a toy. He just yeah. treats him like another toy. He just yeah. he's completely unconcerned with um, Haley Joel's feelings. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Not a jerk. He's, he's a just, little bit of a jerky kid. It's a toy. It's a machine. Why should he? It's why should he treat it any differently than he would any other toy or machine in his house? Yeah, but you. There are kids who are like mean to their toys. What's the point? If it's really just a toy, what's even the point of being mean to it? If I was sick, and my mother <laughs> purchased yeah a toy robot to sleep in my bed. He's not sleeping in that bed once once Martin comes back. I know, but I I I wouldn't go out of my way to be, you know, yeah. it makes perfect. So Martin comes Martin's back. behavior makes perfect sense as far as I'm And I think he's the only one with the appropriate feelings. Well, we'll we'll talk about yeah, the so anti-machine people. Yeah, he comes back and um then yeah, he he says to David, that's the robo oh, boy's name. His name is David. <laughs> he says to him Oh, but first, okay, so they bring the thing home, but then the mother has to imprint yes. on the robot. Yes. And so she does this. She reads like a bunch of words. Silly man. I have no idea. Oh, that was yes. so, awful. Oh, well, Sam Robards plays the husband. Awful. He is very bad at doing exposition. And but, he has to do a lot of it, and he's really not good at it and he has this big piece of our exposition where he has to tell her about how the robots imprint on you and it's irreversible and don't do it until you're sure you want to keep this thing because once you do it we can't return him and if you don't want him anymore he has to be destroyed and so it's all this exposition and it's just not the two of them don't work it's not well done the two of them the two of them don't work but i don't know that's necessarily a bad thing you do get the sense that this marriage is kind of done uh, and the the you know the either forever it's been done or the strain of having this child that's been in a coma for years has destroyed their marriage. That is clear. And in fact, there's one so scene let's have technology that I like when they're eating just before Martin comes home. They're eating just with David, and she gets like a little food on her hanging out of her face, and David sees it and starts laughing in this weird artificial way, like ah, it's it's creepy, but. Monica and Henry are a little creeped out, but they also think it's funny. 
and they start laughing and then the, he laughs in this weird way and then they're laughing and they stop laughing and they give each other a look and you can tell they have not laughed in years. Mm. And that's after that she imprints him. Mm. He gives he gives them something. Very nice. In that moment. I thought that scene was actually really nice. And then she imprints on him and she, he calls her mommy and she's touched. and But that doesn't last for very long because then... Then Martin comes home. And then he Martin says to him, I think also maybe a little biblically, a little bit of snake in the garden, right? It's a toy. David's a toy. He's a machine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, this is okay. What does he say? What okay. does he say? He says to him, I have no sympathy for Haley Joel Osment's character. Hmm. And that's, and that's going to make this conversation interesting. Okay. What does he say to him? He says to him, if you want mommy to love you, Cut a lock of her hair, yeah. just like the prince in that story that she read to us, and then I'll say that I love you, and then she'll love you even more. And David says, no, I'm not allowed. I shouldn't. And oh, and he says, well, he says, do this thing. And he says, oh, well, I promise you'll do this thing. He says, no, I won't. Tell me what it is. He says, promise you'll do it, then I'll tell you. He says, no, tell me, and then I'll promise. So when he tells him, and he says, no, I can't do it. And he says, well, you have to do it. Because you said, if I told you, you would promise. So you promised. So you have to do it. And so he goes into the room. I mean, at this point, you know he's not going to hurt her. And he does, and he cuts the hair, but she wakes up. But it doesn't, well, so if you know, that's the problem. It doesn't, you, you painted the picture earlier as a horror movie, but there's no horror in that scene. No, by that time, the horror is over. It's the problem with the scene. By that time, it becomes clear that David is the victim. It's uh, By that time, it's clear. I think earlier on, it's all a little How weird. How can and a machine be a victim? <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, let's get to it, shall we? <laughs> I don't understand. He's a, he's a, he's a toy. Okay, we, I'm how going can a to, toy be a victim? I'm going to cite Rashi here. <laughs> and I mean our Rashi. No, I By figured... which I mean Roger Ebert. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant Roger. Okay, yes. Roger Ebert did not like this film. Okay, good. He gave it two reviews. Okay. First, he didn't really like it. He gave it like two and a half stars. Yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah, I think two, two, two and a half. And then he did He did another review again um, like 10 years later. Yeah. And he gave it, um, three I and think, three or three. Yeah, and sure. And he said, yeah, I was a little wrong the first yeah. time. Yeah. But both times, yeah. I think he misses a point. And I think you missed the point. He he writes his review, and I think a lot of people read the movie this way. Maybe I think it's a misreading. I think a lot of people read this movie as a science fiction movie about robots. I do not think it's a science fiction movie about robots. I don't think that if you if you do start from a place of well, this thing is a machine, and therefore who cares? <laughs> I think you cannot really get this movie i think the way that it's supposed to that the is the intention of the artists trying to get across it's a failure of the artist it's not much not well, maybe a failure it's not of the your viewer failure. that's right but i think one would enjoy the movie more let me put it that way i think one enjoys the movie more i'm familiar with rudy i i understand what spielberg i understand and maybe spielberg for, didn't get it i understand it for whom spielberg wants my sympathies to lie i understand that Right. But 
Yeah, so I don't, it, I think if you come at it from a point of, well, it's a, just a machine, then yeah, I think a lot of the movie's not going to be as compelling as I can't view it as propaganda it to have, to anthropomorphize machines so that we become kinder and softer towards our machines and we begin to blur the line between machine life and human life and the existential question about whether or not human beings have a soul? Well, there are those questions too. But you don't have problems. You don't have problems liking ET. That thing's not human. You don't have any problems rooting for ET. You don't have any problems sympathizing with ET. ET's an alien. It's a big difference between an alien and a machine. Uh, well, I think in this movie it isn't that big a difference. I think in this movie, I think you are being asked to make the leap that this machine has transcended. That this machine is, and maybe not only this machine, I think actually as you meet more and more machines, robots in this film, the line between human and robot is very, very, very thin. And I think the challenge of the film is to ask you to accept these machines as real characters in the drama and that's a leap and i you know some people don't want to make roger ebert did not want to make that leap roger ebert says well these things are machines so clearly the movie isn't about them <laughs> and i think he kind of i think he kind of missed the point and i i think you do have to i mean that and the woman in the dissertation in the beginning yes says well if these things can love, if these things have real feelings, then what is our responsibility to them? And that's a big theme of the film. And so I think you have to kind of put yourself in a place where these things are at least advanced and sophisticated Wait, enough so that you might have some responsibility. Does David love Monica? I don't know. I don't know if what he feels is really love, but and I think also, I mean, you can look at like the animal rights movement here. What's not important is whether animals uh, are intelligent. What matters is can they suffer? And I think it's clear in this film that David can suffer. He feels pain, not physical pain the way that we do, but he feels real distress and he is threatened, certainly. He feels the threat of pain. So the, the scene a little bit past where we were talking about and what is the last straw that, you know, <laughs> causes him to be ejected from Eden is that there's this birthday party for Martin and it's a pool party and Martin's friends are all there and they're all prodding and poking David and one of them says, oh, does he have like a pain avoidance system? And he gets, uh, it looks like a cake slicer. It's not even like a real knife or anything. And he's like, don't worry. He holds it up to David's skin. He's like, don't worry. I'm not really going to cut you. But David gets freaked out and, and goes behind Martin and says, keep me safe. Clearly, it's something in his programming that when you're threatened, you find somebody that you think is going to keep you safe. That clearly somebody thought 
that's the kind of thing that kids do. You don't, you're not like the Iron Giant, right? You don't, you don't sprout guns out of your hands and destroy the threat, right? No, we're going to make you like as much as we can, like a real kid. You are defenseless. You have to find somebody else to keep you safe. And so that's what he does. He grabs Martin, he says, keep me safe. And then as he's holding on to him, they fall into the yeah, pool. he kills Martin, basically. He drags Martin into the he pool. He kill him. Martin's Guy fine. weighs 3,000 pounds, and he nearly kills Martin. He he nearly drowns Martin. Yeah, but I they... would be very pissed if I yeah. was the parent. Yeah, sure. The parents jump in. Especially after the kid just got out of the hospital. Yeah, the parents jump in. They say, they, they, they get Martin out, and he's And there's fine. the scene of Haley Joel at the bottom of the pool. And Haley Joel, yes, a strains of, like, uh, uh, The Graduate. Yes, Maybe. yes. Right, yeah. very similar. Yes, at the he's, bottom of the pool. Yeah, That's he's right. just there lying That's at the bottom right. of the pool. Nobody's paying attention to him, and he's just staring up That's right. through the water. That's right. Also, another bit of foreshadowing. That's right. Right. So, so I think he can feel distress. He can suffer. You haven't proved that he could suffer. You said he can't. He's programmed in a moment of distress to find a parent or elder figure to hide behind that's just programming okay. that's not distress so why do you feel the way that you do why do any of us feel the way that we do why do we respond in certain ways to certain stimuli i mean you're asking me to go into a psych talk about psychology at this point what do you mean there is a materialistic point of view that we're just yes we are we're that's just correct that's right correct. hundreds of miles we're, of fiber which is what henry calls david right and our responses are programmed you know not as deliberately by a person or a group of people but by something and who's to say that the reasons so for our responses one is more real than are the any other. more valid okay. than than this All right. because the also the important thing is he how do you feel towards that teddy bear i love teddy oh my god can we talk about teddy teddy is this teddy bear that's a super toy that is given to david because martin oh, stopped god. playing with it because martin stopped playing with it because it's old and yeah. he's like yeah this thing is old and broken and lame now it's right, jiminy it's... cricket he's jiminy cricket basically right he's he's watches over david to a certain extent he gives him advice he tells him when he shouldn't do something when the scissors i, I don't know if it's then or some other time when he's like david no and he's got this amazing voice coming out of a teddy bear teddy's one of my favorite characters in this film he's amazing who voices this guy called I think David Angel, he's just done voiceover work. I mean, um, like voice acting. That's his, his thing for a whole bunch of animated stuff. And, and he says very little. And he speaks sentences of like four words, right? But he's just, and the way he moves, I mean, it's animatronic. I think the thing is a mix oh, of, delightful. Of, of animatronics and CG. Oh, it's very, very watchable. Teddy's really amazing the way they imbue this thing that's like nothing with some real life like doing so much with so little it's like the it's the opposite of Haley Joel Osment right Haley Joel Osment is like a real human being that they 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 you believe is 
just a robot and Teddy is this like little teddy bear nothing that becomes like a real character. Uncanny Valley. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the Uncanny oh, Valley? Oh, you do see that. Definitely. So explain to everyone what Uncanny Valley means. Uncanny Valley is, it's a thing that, you know, we're more familiar with now, but the idea is that at a certain level of abstraction away from representation of the human, you're fine with, right? So if you have a, a robot that, you know, is just looks like, like uh, R2D2. Looks, looks like, like R2D2 or C3. Right. Looks like 3C3PO. No problem. Clearly not a person. Right. No worries. On the other side, all the way on the other side, you have something like David in this movie, which is he looks exactly like a human being. Pretty much. Like you can't even tell to look at him that he's not a human being. Fine. But in between, there's this valley, the uncanny valley, where it looks almost like a person but not quite the the uber example of this is polar express i don't know if you've seen that film i've never seen the movie but i've seen like clips and trailers it's it's cg animation and they tried they went way into the uncanny valley right most cg animation I have not. I really oh, want to see it. Oh, it was really hard to watch. I really want to see really, it. It really hurt my eyes. <laughs> I just couldn't. I, could, I only got the, I wanted to see it just because, and I only got through like five, six minutes train of it. Wreck. And then my eyes just hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, they take real people and they sort of plaster over them in a weird way. Like Polar Express, it's CG animation, but it's, it's I think it must all be like mocap stuff. Yes, if you're too close to human, the human freaks out. If you get real close, it you're, it's creepy. That's right. And there are moments of that in this film, like that that scene where he does the, the spinach and then he breaks and his face starts sort of melting. Droops. You get into the uncanny valley. It's it's like, oh, you can tell now that he's not human, but he's real close. And you're like that creeps you out. And then he's they open him up. They crossed right over the uncanny valley. They didn't really address it. It's not really super well, you kind of, with the robots... You would think that Monica would have a little bit of difficulty adjusting to this kid. But he looks so real. Everyone just, everybody remarks. Everybody comments. You're like, you so don't real. look like the others. Even at the flesh fair. You, right. Even so at the, get the flesh, flesh fair. fair. So he... Good, I have a lot to say about the flesh fair. Well, this is, this is some you good haven't stuff. Got, you have got to get us to there. So first. this is the end of Act 1, is after the pool incident. She leaves him in the wilderness. She, she, oh, and this is the one part that was actually in the story. When, right after the pool thing, she goes to David. She's like, oh, we got to talk. And she, and you can tell, it's like, oh, this is not good for David. And she picks up these papers that he's written, these, like, messages. And they say, thing, they say one says, oh, you know, what is it? Like, David loves mommy. And one says, yeah. David and Martin and mommy yeah. and... Uh, or oh yeah, and then the family, a but one. Teddy isn't. Yeah, one of them is like, I hate Teddy because he's not uh, real or something. And those notes, you know, the, the, you know, they're just like in crayon, like whatever. Those things are directly taken from the short story. And in the short story, it's sort of a sign that he's not quite human because he can't finish them. 
they're they're all like beginnings flowers for Algernon. yeah they're all like beginnings of things and he can't like he's not quite smart enough to be able to articulate the thought thought quite yet but also what struck me is like david in this like thing he's like he was just born basically i mean he's basically like an infant at this point he has no experience of anything other than what's i suppose been programmed into him right and i think he does I think there is character development. I think he does sort of learn. So Monica says, tomorrow we'll take a drive. They get in the car. And what the car they... is ludicrous, by the way. The car is the one piece of like tech that just looks stupid, in my opinion. It's got like two wheels in the front and one wheel in the back. It looks like you could just push it over. I think it looks dumb. I don't know why they bothered. I think they should have just gotten into like a almost it was left car. over from the minority report. No, minority report is after this. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe he had already started it. I mean, maybe he had already... I think he was already going to do it. But that's they, what the cars look like in mine. Yeah, my number report is 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 later. But even those cars, I think, look a little better. And those go up, those go up walls. Those are super cool. This thing is just like a regular car. It just looks ridiculous. I don't know. Anyway, so they go... She she takes him out. And it lo- she goes to... You see the Cybertronic signs, which like he's gonna, she's going to take him back to be destroyed. And then clearly at the last minute, she has second thoughts, gets cold feet... And takes him to the woods and is like, I'm just going to leave you here. Can we talk about geography for just one second while yeah. you're, while you're, so we're in Jersey. We're, we're in, in the woods. Yes. We're in the woods of Jersey. Yeah. We are told in the intro yes. that we're in Jersey. So that, I mean, that, okay. Just so we're clear. And Manhattan. There are woods in New Jersey. Of course. I've seen the Sopranos. There are plenty yeah. of woods in New Jersey. But the Manhattan is the end of the world. So that's up north, right? There is some significant geography here that I was trying to suss out the whole time. It all takes place in Jersey. It all takes place in Jersey except until the end. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So she leaves him in the woods and he's like, no, 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 don't leave me. And she gets in the car and drives away and leaves him in the woods with Teddy. And she says, don't go that way. Like, don't go to Cybertronics because they'll destroy you. And don't watch out and don't trust any people. Only trust Mecca. So Mecca is what they call robots. There's Mecca and Orga, right? Orga, organic, Mecca, mechanical. Um, don't trust anybody. Only trust Mecca. And then, yeah, she drives away, and he's left there in the woods. And there's this hidden moon. There's and then like there's a this secret. Moon. And moon. then I think this is a beautiful scene where the the robots emerge out into out of the woods. Oh, this this garbage truck comes yes, up, this yes, big yes, truck, yes. and dumps all these parts of robots. And then it's sort of like Night of the Living Dead. All these robots emerge from from the woods and they're looking for pieces to re- repair them because they're all in horrible shape. And one of them, yeah, takes a, a jaw off a robot and puts it on into their own because so they, they were missing a lower jaw. And one takes an arm and is like, eh, no, this one doesn't fit. And then takes another arm and it lines up and was able to put the arm on. I think this is really Very cool. Cute. Very cute. And it looks awesome. Very well, I'm very well done. And actually, you know, they use like amputees uh, and stuff for this. I mean, that's how they got the, you know, they would get the, they would find, they, they had amputees and then, you know, they get the arm and that's the effect. The effect is not that they don't have an arm. That's real. The effect is them taking the arm and, and sort of putting them on or whatever. I mean, it's really, I mean, you can't tell where the real stuff ends and the effects begin in this film. It's really good and and, there, and you know it's a robot that has like half a face 
It's and and the the there's a nanny robot. There, there, that, yeah, I hate it. A little too many side shots. One, one extra. It's like one extra side. I'm, he's they're showing off. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's there are a off. couple of show offy. Look at how amazing this this effects are. Yeah, but you know what? They are amazing. Like, <laughs> well, because when she turns sideways, you could through and you could see through her head. Yeah, and then yeah, she turns yeah. the other way, and you could see her. Yeah, she's got like the face. front of the face, yes. and she's got hair in the back, yes. and there's nothing yes. in between. Yeah. yeah, okay, yes. Could you do with a little less of that? It's like, yeah, I get yeah, it. He was seeing maybe he was, like, he was, was a wink. But look, imagine seeing that in 2001, and, and like you've never seen anything. Like it's just amazing. It's like, oh, there's too many I dinosaurs in Jurassic I Park. Did, I, I mean, it's you know. <laughs> Do we really need to see another dinosaur? It's like, well, that's what, you know, that's the big part of the pleasure. I was more interested in the philosophical implications, even back in 2000. Okay, okay. So, and then you see this big moon rising. Yes. And that's the flash fire. You see Brendan Gleeson riding <laughs> in this balloon. That's a moon. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. I say ambition. There's stuff in this movie that's like, you didn't have to go. That no, far. you didn't have to you go with. You didn't have to go with the moon, the hidden moon, to steal the robots. You didn't have to have a balloon that looked exactly like the moon being helmed by Brendan Gleeson, like pulling levers and stuff. You didn't need that, but it's it's evocative of something. And fairy tale. Yeah, it's all very fairy tale like, and he's a showman, right? Again, Pinocchio. So, oh, so we uh, we kind of skipped over that. The, the, earlier on, Monica is reading Pinocchio. I mean, uh, Martin says, "Oh, let's read P- Pinocchio. David will love it." And he's being sort of mean. Yeah. But as it, it turns out, that Pinocchio Pivotal plot becomes David's urtext. Yes. Right. He he buys into it completely, yes. and when he's abandoned. With Teddy, he says to Teddy, we have to go find the Blue Fairy. That becomes the She's going to make me a real boy. Right. And when I'm a real boy, Monica will love me. That's right. That is now his quest. That's all he cares about. And now he meets Jude Law. And af- right after he gets uh, abandoned in the woods, we cut to Jude Law. Gigolo Joe. What do you know? What do you know? I love... He's so good Jude Law's so good in this movie. And by the way, I, I hope the makeup artist got an Oscar. Because the makeup is just so good in this movie. It's just top notch where they do make the mecca with the makeup look just slightly mecca. It's really nice. Yeah. And I really think Jude Law, his just the use of his limbs, the way he dances, it's just really very marionette esque. It's very lovely mm-hmm. to look at. So he does a great job. Yeah. So he's we see him first. He's Oh, he's a gigolo. He's, he's a, a gigolo. He's a, he's a hired, sex bot. That's right. Uh which they refer to Well, briefly we still have this issue beginning. between love and sex, which is yes. very quickly and yes. never fully. Well, in the very beginning when when Hobby says, "Oh, we're going to make a robot that can love." They're like, "Why don't we make uh thousands of love bots every it's your friend year?" Ken, Ken... Ken Leon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, that's right. Podcast favorite. <laughs> Ken Lung is in this film for about 20 seconds, but he makes it count, doesn't he? He gets a line in there. He does get a line in there, and it gets a laugh. <laughs> and so, yeah, so Gigolo Joe is this sex bot. He's, you see him with this woman who is scared and unsure about whether she could, should go through it with him, and he puts her at ease, and she can see she's bruised. You can tell she's been abused by probably her human uh, partner, but Gigolo Joe makes it 
all okay. And he does, he like jerks his neck and starts playing, what is it? I can't remember the first song, but he plays all these. Uh, it just sounds like it's some 45 from the 40s. From the 30s even. I mean, you know, or yeah, heaven, 30s or 40s. It's heaven. not that one, but it's something like that, right? He plays all these and he kind of moves. He has these like Fred Astaire. No, it's really, he's really Gene good. Gene Kelly moves. He's very light. Oh, he actually. He's called, very light on his feet. Yeah. So he, the next thing he's, he's leaving her, he actually does the, on the pavement call to the shining, maybe not shining clockwork orange. He does a little singing in the dance dance on the curb. I missed that. That's the Gene Kelly move okay. from singing in the rain. And he checks into a motel and talks with the clerk there and then goes upstairs and there's a woman on the bed and he leans over and oh dear, she's been murdered. And you see the husband come in and leave. And so it's clear the husband did it, but what are you going to do? You're now a, a love bot in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Gigolo Joe says to himself, I am in big trouble. And then the next time you see him, he is out in the woods with all the other bots because he is now, he's, he's torn off his ID, his identifying, his like barcode or whatever it is. He's torn that off. So I guess they can't find him. And he's on. So the is run. this a regular occurrence that robots kill humans? Is this is this for him to say I'm in big trouble? Is that like a thing? I thought robots would be programmed not to be able to kill you humans. Would think Isn't that like the one law, of Asimov's? Yeah, the law of robotics doesn't come up. Yeah, you would think that no. Well, it does. The law of robotics comes up when he goes to take the scissors and cut Monica's hair. He says, "I can't." Right? There seems to be some thing that he can't do. Yeah, you're right. You would think that robots would not be able to murder human beings, but let's think. Let's say that's true. Even if he can't murder her, it's not good. I mean, even if he just gets caught up in what will be a murder case. So it's a bad place for Joe to be. I mean, can he testify against a human being? You don't want to be in that position. I'm assuming it's I'm, it's probably career ending well, one way or I would another. Say if anybody it, would be a credible witness, it would be Joe. Yeah. I mean, you could just go through his data file. But it's probably career ending, I would think. <laughs> For a gigolo? For yes, to be involved. Well, yes, in, anyway, in a murder, a homicide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, you wouldn't want to hire a homicidal gigolo. Yeah. One way or another, he is in big trouble. That's right. And so he runs. And so he ends up in the same forest. He ends up in the same forest yes. as David and Teddy. Yes. And then the balloon comes down. Yes. Brendan Gleeson, they're hunting the robots. Yes. And it's a flesh fair yes. where they destroy robots on stage. Can you explain to me the behavior of any of the human beings? There is this trope. I was watching another movie, Surrogates, which is a 2017 movie with Ving Rhames and Bruce Willis. Oh, that was horrible, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible movie, but it has the same problem that this movie has, which is it has these, either you're going to live with these surrogate robots that are going to live your life, or you're known as a dread. They're like avatars, And you right? live, yes, exactly. But you live, they're avatars that you go to work with, you get in the car, you have fun with, you jump off buildings with, you go to parties with, and you go, and then your flabby body is at home and needs to be fed, right? That's the movie. But then there are these dread colonies which are no mecca allowed into these dread colonies, if you will, okay? Uh-huh. And the humans in the dread colonies are portrayed in the exact same way 
as the humans at the flesh fair. There is this trope in science fiction mechanistic movies that the humanistic quasi-religious folks are gun-toting yokels. And that is in both this movie and in surrogates. And I just, I, I, I resent it as a humanist that, that we would be portrayed in that fashion. Why, why, why are, what, the flesh fair? I mean, who are the people going to the flesh fair? They need to burn, they need to, they get their rocks off burning chauffeur robots. I mean, come on. What is that whole scene? Explain to me what the flesh fair scene is. What is the message that Spielberg is giving us with the flesh fair? Human beings are bad and insensitive to things made out of metal. Seems to be the case. As I said, there are ways in this is which this movie is not entirely coherent. No, I'm asking you, what is the purpose? Well, the purpose in terms of the story is danger, threat, sort of clear. What? Well, first, it's the Pinocchio thing, right? It's the showman. He's evil. He's exploitative, and uh, puts Pinocchio in a cage from which he has to escape, right? So there's that. I just think that the Luddites are often depicted very unfavorably. It, these movies. And that, I think, is uh, it's too bad. It's too bad. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, you could read it a little bit as the Brendan Gleeson character. He talks about, oh, it's, you know, it's, uh, we're battling artificiality. I mean, look, it put me, of course, in mind of like a Trump rally, a little bit. Well, no, that's my point. Right? In which the showman doesn't even really believe his own BS. That's my point. He's just putting on a show. That's right. And that the pretext for that show is really just a pretext. It's that's just entertainment. Man. It's a straw man argument. They're giving you humanism as a straw man, yeah. as a yokel straw man. And I just don't think that that, if you're really going to spend so much time on the philosophical overtones of the movie, give me a genuine sort of other side here. But no, you create this Trump rally other side and you say, well, it's either love David or be a Trumper. And, I mean, I, I think and, that, and you, the same problem in surrogates and often the same problem uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself a Luddite, but I'm a humanist. I think there are certain values that human beings have towards each other that technology can get in the way of. And I don't think there's any comparison between a human being or an animal or an alien or a robot because a human being is created in the divine image. Uh, and Frankenstein is not. So you want me to have pathos for Frankenstein throughout this whole movie and you instead of you know, giving me Lou Ferrigno to play Frankenstein, you give me this cute, adorable Haley Joel Osment. But you don't you have empathy for Frankenstein's monster? Why would I have empathy for Frankenstein? Monster. Because it's a creature that has thoughts and feelings and at least aspires to have a soul. And might. Okay. And well, might. Well, that's more than David aspires to. Well, he does aspire to that. Not to he wants to be a real 
boy. Why? Well, because Monaco will love him. That's that is sort of what that is. But Monaco, okay, so, so that's just programming. The, yes, but everything is programming. But I think you can. Time. You could take Monica, and you could substitute God for Monica. Monica is. He doesn't know where he. People ask him. What's um, uh, Martin asks him? What's your birthday? He says, I don't remember. I don't know. I've never had a birthday. He says, well, when were you made? Who made you? And he says, well, mommy made me. What's your build date? David gets very confused. He doesn't know that he's a machine, really. He doesn't experience himself as a machine. He has an experience of himself as a person. That's consciousness. What else is that? He has an experience of himself as a person with thoughts and feelings and needs that are just as important as anybody else's thoughts and feelings and needs. That's consciousness, isn't it? If that isn't it, what is? So you're supposed to anthropomorphize? We have anthropomorphized cats. We have anthropomorphized dogs. And you have an anthropomorphized doll. Well, in this movie... Yes. 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 In this movie, you should. I think you should take David... As seriously as you take Simba in the Lion King. As I take uh, Fievel, uh Well, Mouse more Quits. than that, because it's just not a very good character. But, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, you could say, why should I care about Simba? He's a lion. I understand. He's an animal. Fair Who enough. cares? I just didn't like the flesh fair depiction of the human beings. Yes. I think that's an easy trope. Well, this is the problem. It's an easy trope for science fiction folks to make fun of the Amish. Well, yeah, well, this is the problem with this. This is a fundamental problem with this movie is that I do think it is using the Mecca as a metaphor. But the problem is that they are also robots, <laughs> you know, and that there are actually real things to say about the technology and that we do have like AI as a thing is a real thing the way that talking lions are not. And so... This is a this is a problem with the coherence of this film is that the robots in this film are both a metaphor for something else but also robots that we are asked to think of Do you robots. have any affinity any outsized affinity for any piece of technology in your house? Oh sure, we anthropomorphize this stuff all the time, right? No, but do you is there is there Oh, do I? It's like Woody in Toy Story. If you left Woody at the bottom of the barrel of the toy, would you feel bad for Woody? Do you have any piece of technology that you feel bad for if you didn't give that piece of technology attention? No. Okay. No, not really. So we're nowhere near that level. But I think there are people who do. I mean, I think there are I think there are people who are very close to their phones, their phones. Well, of course, I mean, uh, you know, I do sometimes I do have that thing, right? The, the phantom phone. Yeah, it happens. Phantom, yeah. Phantom. It's freaky. So you do become attached to these things, but that's sort of a, that's sort of a, a physical attachment more than an emotional attachment. Okay. So they go to the flesh fair. They go to the flesh they fair. They survive the flesh fair. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That ordeal. So they get out. So they, they run away. They escape. And David says, oh, I have to find the blue fairy. And Gigolo Joe says, well, it sounds like she's a woman. 
I know all about women. Vinny Chase. This is where Vinny Chase comes in. And Vinny Chase. Oh, from uh, (laughs) Entourage. (laughs) Adrian Grenier. That's right. Okay, you spotted him too. So uh, I know all about women, and I know where to find them, and they're all in Rouge City. And also we'll find Dr. No, because there's nothing that he doesn't, and he'll tell us where to find the Blue Fairy. And so they hitch a ride with, with Vinny Chase, who's one of these three kids in this car going to vegas to have a good and basically well it doesn't even it's not even clear if they were going there before but they're going there now because gigolo joe basically says hey basically says i'll get you laid with a robot basically sodom and gomorrah it's basically they're going to sodom and gomorrah that's basically rouge city uh yeah yes uh, or isn't there like a pleasure island or something? And there's in also a there's a there's a church there. Well, I, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So they show up and then they they do they step outside this church, which is like the mother of the immaculate heart or something, sister of the, of the immaculate heart. And Jiglo Joe has just sort of the nice line of like, "This is where I get most of my business. Women come out of here, and then they want to hook up with me." But they go to Doctor No, played by Robin Williams, in yet another great. sort of uncredited cameo. Uncredited. Uh, not he's not um, a credited name. Wow. On the movie at all. Him. Uh, did you notice a Chris Rock cameo as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did notice. There's a comedian robot who's being uh, gets killed by the flesh, who gets destroyed by the flesh fair, and it's Chris Rock for about three seconds. It's like little Benny. It's basically little Benny gets burnt alive. Yeah. So, um, Robin Williams is this uh, animated, Einstein-y looking guy in a Google screen. Google before Google was invented. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, now it doesn't seem like that big a deal. You ask a computer a question. <laughs> oh, but there's the thing is, oh, it's a trick, right? You have to ask him the right question or you ask him the, you know. It's all defined by categories. It's by all way. defined by categories. Well, maybe it was, we had Yahoo. That's where we were. No, that's where then, we were right? in technology. Was yeah. Everything was like pick with categories. Sports. It was an index. That's right. Right, yeah. So he asks him where combine fairy tale with fact, right? Yeah. So it's a little goofy, frankly. But in the end, they get read a Yeats poem, and which was put there by Doctor. Which it turns out, yes. But it's like go, go. You have to go to the end of the world, and there where you the will lions find, weep. where the lions weep, and you will find the blue fairy. And David's like, great. They come out, and. Oh, but they, is it before or after that where Jude Law has that great little speech that David asks him, why do they, why do they hate us? And this is the, I mean, you ask why the flesh fair. Jude Law says they hate us because we are going to outlast them. And they know it. When they are all gone, we will still be here. And basically, they're jealous of us. And that is why they hate us and want to destroy us. And I, he was, you know, he delivers it very well. And I find that affecting and meaningful. And it, I mean, there is this whole other layer where the robots are just the other, right? They're just a stand in for the other whatever that happens to be, that people hate and resent and... The Jew. The Jew. Let, yeah, th- finally we got there, I right? I was going to wonder where we were going You don't have to wait for Schindler's List. Um, that is also very much played out here and nowhere more than the Flesh, the flesh Fair. fair. 
That's yeah. right. It's a big rally. That's right. Where they talk about the category of beings that they want to destroy. That's right. Okay. So they go to Manhattan. Why is it called Manhattan? Oh, that's so dumb. <laughs> I, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's, it's, what is it? Only man is there. There's no Mecca. That's why they call it Manhattan. It's kind of stupid. But they, um, well, the cops come to. Yes, to arrest him for to his murder. Ar- to arrest or, or detain or whatever they do to Mecca. Um, Gigolo Joe and somehow. Haley Joe co-ops the helicopter. They end up getting the other uh, um, amphibicopter, please, <laughs> um, that the some of the cops came out of. And um, he and Gigolo Joe get away in the amphibicopter and fly all the way to Manhattan. Which from Jersey is not that far. From Jersey, it's not that far. It's mostly oh, underwater. By the way, it's probably Atlantic City, but River City is probably. It could be Atlantic City. That's true. That would make more sense. But wouldn't Atlantic City be underwater? It would probably be underwater, right? I mean, it's right there on the coast. Of course. It would probably be underwater. Um, so they get to Manhattan. They go to the Cybertronics building in Manhattan. And they're able to find that. This building. is now actually. They're, they're really able to find out. In Manhattan, Manhattan's a big place, but they're able to find Professor Hobby really. Well, they see the, well, first they see the Weeping Lions. There are these lion statues. And they see the big... And they see the big um, logo for Cybertronics, right? Uh, And they go in and they go into the offices and there's a chair and the chair turns around and it's another David. And David freaks out. (laughs) I don't know. This I want to talk about. It's a little bit scary. This I would love to hear your take. Okay. Because David sees the other David. The other David is sitting there smug as anything, reading a book, being like, hey, how are you? <laughs> what's up? Um, and he's like, who are you? He's like, I'm David. He's like, no, but I'm David. You can't be David. The other David is cool with it. Um, but our David becomes so distressed that he takes a lamp and he beats the other David's head off. This strange behavior from David we have not previously seen. No, we did not previously think that he was capable of this. I no, don't we think. have not. We had no reason to think. That's correct. That Seems he was capable of this. Disproportionate. Yeah. So, what, what what are your thoughts? I have two thoughts. Yeah. One is it's just cognitive dissonance that is just beyond anything he can handle. Right. I mean, again, if he sees himself as a unique being as essentially human in every way why would he see himself as unique he has but well that's what he's that's he's made to be a real boy he's made to be as close to a boy as you can get and part of that is that there's nobody else quite like you that's what we tell all children isn't it uh, that's you're you're making this stuff up. This is not in the movie. This is midrash. None of this stuff about is in the movie. Well, everybody says how he's unique. Well, that well that that's, this comes out that comes out. No. But also, he has a sense of himself as a distinct consciousness. He is not the difference between him and the other Mecca is not that he's really smarter, or not that his behavior is all that different. I mean, he's you know, Gigolo Joe is 
um, pretty conscious. Uh, is, is is has all the sort of faculties apparently that he, he does. does. The difference between David and every other Mecca is that every other Mecca is self-aware. They know what they're doing. In the very first, in that in that first uh, uh, dissertation scene, right? They call on the robot, and William Hurt says to her, "What is love?" And she says, "Oh, it's uh, a warming of the body and a flushing of the skin, and a you know." And he's like, "Okay, thank you." They, the the Mecca, are aware of how they are producing effects, and David is not the same way that we are not. We are we also do that. Love is also that to us. Love for us is also the warming of the skin and the sweatiness of the palms and the flush in the cheeks. That's no less true for us than it is for the Mecca. The difference between us and the Mecca is that we are not aware that we are doing that in order to produce an effect. And David also is not aware that he is doing that to produce an effect. He doesn't know really that he's a machine. So he's naive. Yeah, he doesn't experience himself as a machine. He experiences himself as a person. And so when he is now face-to-face with the brutal fact that he is a machine... What about the eating scene where he eats and he gets the spinach vacuum? Yeah, he's different. Like, he knows he's not like everybody. He knows he's not like a regular person. He understands he's different in some way. But let me put it this way. He knows he's not the same as human beings, but I think he still thinks he's a person. He's a different kind of person. He's a different category. See, when you say it's like being there. That's that's what I'm thinking about. It's a little bit like being there. He's just not self-aware. Of, of the situation that he's in, he's out in the world, and other people attribute these feelings onto him. No, um, I don't think that's true. He doesn't. It's not that other people attribute feelings to him. He actually thinks he has feelings. He, in fact, it's the opposite. He thinks he has real feelings, and everybody else writes them off. That he's just a robot. He okay, does. so he bashes this other David yeah. in. So that's here's and my then other Professor take. Hobbit. Wait, hold on, yeah. my other take. It's Cain and Abel. That's the other take. The other take is that this whole movie is, in fact, uh, a journey that he goes through, which is toward humanity. I think that's that's actually a big story of this film. Is it is it is Pinocchio? It, it's Pinocchio. I, I, yeah, it, it, but the other part of Pinocchio is that it's that he is reaching something, and I think that. I mean, he starts, and in the very beginning, when what's the last thing that William Hurt says in that first scene? When the woman says to him, well, you know, we're just making these things to love us, right? Isn't that weird? And William Hurt says, well, didn't God create Adam to love him? Now, that's not actually true, is it? <laughs> I mean, that's not actually in the Bible, is it? Uh, not that I know of. No, I don't think so. But, but we are commanded to love your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your might. So you could make yes, the Yes, but not until later. <laughs> not that much later. It's not. I don't think there's any reasoning given in Genesis well, as to why God Heschel, creates Adam. It's a classic Heschel perspective. God in search of man is Heschel's famous book. And the idea is that God needs a partner. God needs some sort of appreciation or recognition. It must be lonely to be God. You need someone on the other end to knowledge or existence and so god needed a 
needed someone to appreciate godsness and so god had to retract god's self to do tzimtzum in order to create a space for some other entity to acknowledge god's godliness <laughs> right and so there is also in this people need the robots to reflect something back to them and 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 william hurt's sort of thesis is well people will love having i mean it's really twisted also, like people are going to want a child that's a child forever and does nothing but love them. Oh my forever. god! Well, then it sounds the, like a the, nightmare. Give the reveal. The reveal is that David is actually William Hurt's dead son. Oh yeah, yeah. That's not really much of a surprise, though, right? And we see that. We see that now. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so that's the other part. Is I think it's Cain and Abel, right? I think in the beginning you do have him. It's like Adam, right? And then what happens next? He's given a companion. And so I think there are also these biblical parallels in terms of the journey that humanity is taking and that he's taking in order to get closer to some kind of humanity and, you know, display of the, the, the impulse and consummation of violence. That's a pretty human thing that we didn't think he was capable of. But hey, look, he can do that, too. He's getting closer. I think he does He does grow in this movie. So yeah, he beats his head in, and then William Hurt comes in. He's not mad. He's like, so wonderful to see you. So glad you came back to us. Yeah, we planted that message with Dr. No. That's the only time we intervened. We wanted you to come back to us, but we were just going to let you do it. And actually, we lost you for a while. That was pretty cool. We didn't know what you were going to do next. Aren't you amazing? And... Um, uh, and yes, we see the pictures of his dead son, um, and, and really were also kind of weird. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go find the rest of the team. You just stay here. I'm going to leave you alone you just now. Go roam into this <laughs> yeah, other room. I'm gonna leave you alone now for an indeterminate amount of time, where I go find the team somewhere else. It's it was a little. It's a little hokey. And then David leaves. And he sees all the packs. Sees all the robots, right? There's now a whole line in the packaging of in the in the boxes of the whole line of Davids and the whole line of Arlene's and all these robots. And then he commits suicide, or he thinks he does. He he walks out to the edge of the building and he he jumps off the edge of the building into the water below. You have to assume trying to kill himself. You do have to assume. I mean, again, because not, he's not unique, not something you would think a robot would do. No, no, not something. Why? What possible reason would a robot have I still to destroy? Don't. I still don't know. I still don't. Yeah. So I think he's not. He's something more. I think he he's something more. So he tries to kill himself. He goes off. I don't a, know. We we'll have so much trouble with the suspension of disbelief there, but keep going. So he throws him off, and, and he goes into the water, and. He's he's down below, and then he sees and a he light. He ends up scooting over to Coney Island. Uh, somehow, does he get all the way there? At yes, this point? he gets all the way to Coney Island. Yeah, the geography and does get a, a little weird. No, it doesn't work from where he is. When he's and there's his Pinocchio. Yeah. Well, there's a big light behind him, and he says, and then he's rescued by Gigolo Joe in the it's amphibic. It is an amphibicopter and can go underwater. Oh, I forgot and, about that. Yeah, it oh. rescues him. And, then and, they get and David says, no, no, there's something down there that I saw. And then, oh, then the cops show up and they take Gigolo Joe. And Gigolo, what is it? Gigolo Joe, his final words. 
I am. I was. And then he's taken away. And so then David uh, yes. takes a, a the bottom of the, the he Coney goes Island. down. He finds Coney Island. He yep. sees like the the grove of Pinocchio or whatever. Blue fairy. And he sees the blue fairy, and he stops for two thousand years. He's there he with Teddy. the The Ferris wheel falls on top of them, and Teddy says, "We're in a cage." And then he's just there, stuck, looking at the blue fairy and praying. And the voiceover you hear says that he is praying. He is there praying to be a real boy for for as long as he can before everything ice is over and it gets so cold he can't do anything. But meanwhile, he is he's praying nonstop. That's all he does. And then it gets too cold. The, then we hear another voiceover from the wonderful Ben Kingsley telling us that he's there for 2,000 years. The waters are all frozen over. And then 2,000 years later, he's rescued by these weird beings that look sort of like aliens, but I think we have to believe are advanced. They're descendants of machines. They are, right. They are descendants of the robots. Um, Jiggle Joe was right. All the people are gone. And this is what's left. They tell him, you're so special. You're the only one like you in the world. And you are the only one that remembers human beings. And these machines, for all their advancement, want to have some contact. Well, they want to know who created them, just like we do. Right. So they rescue him, and they say, they take him back to this, also, um, now we're into 2001, right? Oh, very much. Just like the end of 2001. Very, they I take mean, him into the simulacrum. in some similar way. Yes. Yeah, they take him into the simulacrum of his, of, of his home that he had with Monica and Henry, and he walks in there and he's like, where is everybody? What is this place? And then you see the blue fairy. They make a real blue fairy for him who talks to him and says, what do you want? We want you to be happy. What do you want? And, and he says, well, I want Monica. And the thing's like, well, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can. You know, uh, we no, can, they we, can't do it. We can bring some people back, but only if we have only people that we dig up that we have some trace of. And Teddy says, oh, remember when you cut the hair? And I, I have it. They get the other hair. And so the robot says, well, we can bring her back. And there's some kind, all kinds of technical mumbo jumbo. But we can bring her back. But <laughs> yeah. we can only bring her back very for one forgi- day. Very forgiving of the technical mumbo yeah, jumbo of the 24-hour I mean, They're very life. hand-wavy and some going to be hand-wavy. It doesn't matter. You get one day. Yeah. But uh, you get one day. We can only bring her back for one day. And then, and then no we can other never day bring her back again. again. Yes. Uh, because of the space-time continuum or something. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> And what do you what do you want to do? And he says, "Well, if you want me to be happy, then you know what you have to do." So they bring back Monica. They have a day together. It's Monica. She's the same. She kind of knows who she is. She kind of doesn't. She doesn't seem to be bothered by the fact that Henry and Martin aren't there. She just wants to spend the whole day with David. David. They spend the whole day together. They play games. They bake a cake. It's the most wonderful day that David has ever had. In his entire existence, he is happy in a way he has never felt happiness before. And then at the end of the day, Monica lies down and vanishes forever. David lies down with her. And the voiceover tells us that she's gone now and that at last he has entered the place where dreams are born. Teddy is on the top of the bed with them, and that is it. 
I liked it. I liked this ending because to me, what it says is that if you want to be human, you have to die. And that is a thing he could never do before. And now he does it. It's nice. I hadn't thought about that. That's a nice read. And if you want love, you have to have death. That's what I thought. Lots of people hated this ending. Well, it seemed tacked on. It was very, they had like several endings. Like first he jumps off, he thinks it's going to end there, and then it's going to end there. Well, it's a little Kubricky, right? I mean, Kubricky does these sort of... Um, long endings, yeah. These, these weird structures. No, I don't think people like the ending at all. A lot of people said, oh, this is like a tacked on happy ending that Spielberg put on. But that's actually not true at all. Spielberg said, no, this was total, this was all Kubrick's. Uh, the beginning was all Kubrick, and this ending was, was basically um, uh, filmed as Kubrick had handed off, essentially. I mean, even though Steve Spielberg has a writing credit on this film, which is unusual, he said, yeah, this, this, was, this was basically Kubrick's script, this end part. And to me, that makes sense, because I don't think it's a, it's not like a happy, happy Spielberg No, that's not ending. a Spielbergian ending. That's right. That's nice, though. He has to die to be human. That's like stuff. I like that. That's good. That's redemptive to the movie a little bit. Yeah. I mean, other people see it as just sort of weird, I think. I mean, you could also look at it like, oh, this is just kind of, again, kind of creepy that he just like wants to, like, that's it. He's just going to lie with her forever and ever, ever. Like, that's his, you know. That's his dream. Well, that's what he's been programmed. That's the only thing he's been programmed. That's, the, that's what we only know. He's been programmed to love Monica. Once he loves Monica, there's nothing else for him to do. So it's just like, okay, he needs to love Monica. He's found Monica, loves Monica, and he's good. His, his, his job has been completed. Yeah. There's... How Jewish is this movie? Not very. Oh, not even slightly. Except for maybe the, the, the Holocaust illusions. There is that bit. I mean, there is, like I said, there, I think you can't get away from the biblical stuff that's right. Yeah, no, the Cain and Abel stuff is there, sure. The, I mean, cast the first stone. That's the being cast out of Eden, that's, certainly. That's New Testament. Yes, yeah, being cast out of Eden. I don't, it's just, it's just that movie never went high. Missing something. This movie is just missing something. I don't, I just, the heart. There's no heart here, really. But do you have a lot of heart in like 2001? Is there a lot of heart there? Do you have a lot of heart in The Shining? Do you have a lot of heart in Full Metal Jacket? I mean, I think people's, I think a lot of people's read was that like, oh, this is like a cheesy Spielberg film that doesn't work and that's why it doesn't work. But I think it's this real, I think if you watch this as a Kubrick film, it kind of makes more sense, except for that middle part. I think the middle part is like very, very Spielbergy. You know, you get like the, the the motorcycle chase, and I think the middle part. And again, and I think some of it you even do see again in Minority Report, some some sort of bits and pieces of it, right? I think the middle part's very Spielbergy. I think the beginning and the end are very, very Kubrick. And sometimes Kubrick doesn't quite pull it off, you know. 
And so maybe Spielberg couldn't quite. Well, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. I've always wanted, I mean, I grew up on Twilight Zones and I always thought that, uh, you know, I thought it would be a really interesting dissertation on the nature of existence to ask whether or not a robot can love. That seems like a great question to ask. I just don't think it gets asked here or gets... Well, no, I think you just have to take it for granted. I mean, I think that's. The I think problem. that's where I get. I think, I think that's where I got. I think that's where I lose it a bit. Yeah. Because I think I don't suspend the disbelief because I'm too busy trying to figure out the larger metaphysical questions instead of just going along. I think with that the is narrative. a metaphysical question. I think that's when you. That's when you're faced with the metaphysical question is if you just accept that. Yeah, this is a machine that is, and and at the very end, he says to Hobby. Can you make me a real boy? And Hobby says, "You are a real boy." And then he says, "Well, or you, you know, you're as close as we're ever gonna. You're so close, it doesn't really matter." And I think we are being asked to make that leap of like, yeah, he's maybe this is really something else. And I do think that is an interesting question: is what would happen? if we got to a point where we could create things that were so close... That they believed that they were real. That they believed that they were real. That's right. Because that's the thing. That's I mean, again, does it really matter You'd if he never has real feelings or minds. doesn't or yeah. has thoughts or whatever? He thinks he does. He, he has interiority. And I don't know what you would call consciousness or a soul or whatever, if it's, if it's not that. 100%. I, I totally agree with you, except I don't know why. There's some, there, I guess it's my uh, reactionary side. Um, it's no different from having a talking donkey or from anthropomorphizing anything else. And then in the movie, just having to accept the fact that that donkey talks and is anthropomorphized and because, you can feel bad for the donkey. Because we're not threatened by a talking donkey. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's right. Maybe because the, this myth that inanimate machines can possess interiority is a threatening myth and might not bear relationship to reality. But it's a powerful 21st century. And it's been... Put forth by people. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think it doesn't work for a lot of people because it's too close. It's not a talking animal. It's not a talking boy of wood. Scarecrow. Right. Or the scarecrow. That the robot is too threatening. Even though the movie makes a point of showing you that that's true, I think as viewers, it's really hard to get away from. It's it's really hard to get away from it feeling threatening. Well, you're threatened by Frankenstein's monster, aren't you? Of course you Am are. Am I? Yeah, of course you are. Just like you're threatened by it, because there's the, it's a product of our own hands. I don't think that that's insignificant. But you are asked to empathize with the monster. Oh, yes, you are. And if the Frankenstein, the novel, is successful, it's because you do. That's correct. And that's where this movie lost me. 
I did not empathize with David. I was impressed by the acting skills of Haley Joel Osment, but I was not, I did not feel for him. Because was it the Uncanny Valley thing? I think that's a part of that it. That it was too close? That if it were, if it were, uh, uh, if it were clearly made of wood or clearly made of metal or was clearly a woody. patch together yeah, or woody. 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 Yeah. I think you can have a little bit more sympathy for Woody than you can for David. That's right. If you were really a toy. Right? It's, well, it's interesting. Maybe it is the Uncanny Valley. Or maybe for me, it's... I just think there's something, I just think here, I, I just, I because it's being science. the rabbi, being the rabbi here, right? Human beings are created in the divine image and David is, uh, is but you don't have a that bunch problem of with wires. You don't have that problem with Woody. Because it's a cartoon. You don't have that problem with Frankenstein. Oh, I'm scared of Frankenstein. Yeah, you can't really be scared of yeah. I don't know what it is that doesn't. You're not work scared of David? People. David could kill you. At no, any he moment. could. You could at see that. Any moment, David could kill you. David. Yeah. And his programming could just go haywire at any point. Well, not just it goes and haywire. And the attribution that you give him to humanity is, is put by you. Well, the other thing, the other thought I had about David is. And I'm sure this was, cl I'm clearly not a thing when this movie was made, but a way that we see uh, sort of what do we call this now? Neurologically atypical people. Because that's the thing about David that is creeping people out is that he doesn't behave the way you expect somebody to behave. That's interesting. Right? And I think the same way that. Sometimes maybe people who are on the spectrum or other, you know, neurologically differently set up folks behave just differently in a way that we don't really expect or understand or immediately empathize with because it's so foreign to us. And I think if you look at David through that lens, then it's maybe something yet again different i don't know i was just trying to find a way to understand to accept his humanity because i do think if you want to really enjoy this movie i think you have to accept his humanity but it's really hard because have, of the way the whole thing is set up that's it's right. working against itself in so many ways that it doesn't quite work and didn't quite work for a lot of people A.O. Scott of the of the Times loved it a lot of you know he loved it it was split see I, I see I remember being so disappointed but I mean like I just I really was looking forward to it I just had built it all up as this yeah. groundbreaking well. movie was not a big hit uh, it did not make its money back in the United States that, uh, you, that makes sense yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I think it did it it did well in its first few weeks or whatever because I think there was a lot of hype especially for a Kubrick film after Kubrick is gone and Spielberg and Kubrick and the whole thing. The whole thing there was a lot of hype but it did not benefit from word of mouth. I think quite the opposite.
it kind of it kind of um turned people off well then of course you know it was 2001 so oh uh, well yes it was 2001 and you have that June. awful scene you have that awful scene where you can see the twin towers all yeah. frozen over which i which is really disturbing yeah, and Spielberg, I think there was a suggestion to that take him out. he take and he said, no, I'm not doing that, which I, I, I think is the right move. I really, I, I don't like that when people erase the towers. That doesn't seem, well, that doesn't the towers seem aren't right. standing 2,000 years from now. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, I, oh, that they're take, yeah, but it's. It's 2,000 years in the future, so the towers wouldn't be standing. Yeah, but who knows what else would be standing there? You know, I mean, yes, it, it is. It does hit you as an irony, of course, that it's 2000 years in the future. And the one thing that's not the one thing, but one of the things that is still there is definitely is the, world, is the World Trade Center. Yeah. But it helps it put the movie in a place and time, which I like. I mean, I think movies do exist at a place in, and time. Movies are artifacts of their time. And I like that about movies. And when you start futzing with that stuff, you you destroy a piece of that. Why do I have more sympathy for Pinocchio than for David? That's the again because Pinocchio, you're not worried about a boy of wood really becoming a person. Well, maybe because Pinocchio is is Pinocchio the product of uh, Geppetto's hands. Yes, of course he is. Of course he is. Yeah, the reason you don't let's the it's because he's too. David is too real. Well, do, do you think women who have lost their sons would want a replacement robot? I, I mean, like think emotionally, so. does that resonate? Well, no, the whole setup is is I think is very weird. Well, that doesn't. Again, like, yeah, why would you you want a... I liked your broken marriage theory. At least maybe in a broken marriage would be cockamamie enough to try something. But then the kid never grows up. You're stuck with his child forever? (laughs) That sounds horrible. (laughs) You're stuck with like a... A A boy. A A boy. Eight-year-old? Yeah, a boy. Forever? Never grows up? You're always responsible for him? It's like a dog. How does that work? And you can't take him back? It's like a dog. But dogs die pretty soon. Pretty quickly they die. Right? A dog, you know. You turn David off. I suppose you could turn him off. And then what? You have now, him just Miss sitting Nova, in the garage? Nova, she dropped him out in the woods. She didn't turn him off. She didn't turn him off. She dropped him out in the woods. Why would she drop him out in the woods? Because first she's taking him to Cybertronics to be destroyed. And then she, she gets cold feet. And then she gets cold feet. She does seem to feel that he should continue to survive, that he should have a life. Well, sure, if a robot was created just to love me, I might be sympathetic towards that robot. Yeah. You want to talk about the performances in this movie a little Fantastic. bit? Fantastic. Yeah, go right ahead. So the parents, man. Terrible. The Monica in particular. I just, uh, I think she's, I, there was no emotional resonance for me there. I just, I, I think she's good half the time. Silly man. That was awful. There are some horrible lines she's given. She didn't write that. She didn't. There's some, I think there are times when she plays the conflict within herself. But you're right. Fairly the well. stinks. Sam Robards is not good. No. He's given mostly nothing to do. 
but even the stuff that he is given to do. No, the only line is, I'll not do good. whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. That's pretty much the only line he gets. Yeah, he's given exposition, which he can't pull off. But, uh, you know, I mean, this is the difference between a great actor and a not great actor. Ben Kingsley is given nothing but exposition. <laughs> as the narrator, essentially, in the beginning, and then and as 2,000 years later, yes. David was still there praying to the blue fairy. Yes. He's, uh, he's a narrator character, and then later on, you actually see him embodied as the alien, where he has no face. He has no face, no eyes, no lips, nothing. He's just a Giacometti sculpture. These what these aliens, not aliens, robots look like. He has nothing to work with. He only has his voice, and 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 all he gets to do is give, give exposition, and it's like butter. <laughs> well, that's because he's been. But you know what I liked with the robots at the end, where they read David's mind, and then they all tap into the Wi-Fi so that they can see the videos as well. Like they put their hands on their each other's shoulders. Uh-huh. It just seemed like they were just tapping into each other's Wi-Fi connection. And then that those memories from David's files were just floating their way through Although the not network. very sophisticated. They actually have to make physical contact with each other in order to transfer the data. You'd think they would have Wi-Fi. <laughs> but they don't. It's... <laughs> just ethernet whatever <laughs> that's pretty primitive <laughs> but it's but it's evocative they touch each other yeah and, no it's nice i mean the imagery is it's beautiful spielberg knows how to put images together to to get a response that's 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 his great gift there's no question so ben kingsley great uh yeah francis o'connor who's the uh, uh monica and sam robards probably the weakest jude law's fantastic jude law's amazing it really is Haley Joel is fantastic. Uh, I, 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 I could have seen more of Robin Williams. I mean, they could that scene could have gone a little bit more. It was very quick. That was very that was very quick. Uh, I keep William calling Hurt. Him, I keep calling him John Hurt. No, it's yeah. William Hurt. William Hurt is he's also fine. has mostly exposition, but uh, the, all of the acting. There's a lot of exposition in this film. It's too much. There is the the the. It started with well, it. Spielberg wrote, I guess, a lot of it, and I think you you said, I think in the beginning here, that the screenplay is not great, and there are definitely weaknesses in the writing. There's tons of exposition. Well, they just—I do feel like they, they, they. Do you feel that the concept of love was adequately? discussed in this film in the three hours of this film did they really get into that concept of love that uh, William Hurt brought up at the top well think about this what if you just got rid of that whole scene let's talk about the parts of this movie that could be cut that that we don't we like so flesh much fair? it looks so great the flesh fair looks so awesome I wouldn't cut the flesh fair I think the flesh oh by the way cool. that's my favorite scene I was thinking my favorite scene in the movie the one where I was like, that is when Teddy goes to Lost and Found and you follow. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's like a one shot. It's a tracking shot. Tracking shot. That's the word. And you follow Teddy through the flesh fair. Uh-huh. It was really well done. Yeah. That's really good until he ends up in like Lost and Found. And Maybe. unnecessary. Oh, completely unnecessary. But uh, but you notice the mastery of that scene. He's created this entire world and you yes. just, and it's like, it's so Spielbergian. And it's like, what's so good about him 
is like he just shows it from a kid's level. Like a fair would be dirty and grunchy and like people would have craft jobs and like he yeah. includes all of that. Yeah. Which and is it, like, it creates that whole vibe thing for you uh, that it's like a festival. He just, uh, he's able to do that in a real, and that scene, I thought that was an impressive scene. Yeah. That was really great. The, the tracking shot of Teddy was yeah. really great. So um, I wouldn't lose the, I wouldn't lose the flash fair, but I, I think it, um, imagine you cut the that first, whole, yeah, the whole first thing with, with William Hurt. Well, then you don't know. Who, I mean, so how do you come back to William Hurt then at the you end? You just have him say, hey, uh, maybe you have a scene with William Hurt and and Sam Robards just saying, we created this uh, uh, android um, that's a child substitute, and we'd like to test it with your family here. And then the next scene is the, he shows up. Or not even, you don't even need that. You just have, you could just have David show. Sam Robards has, a, he has a whole bunch of exposition later saying what this thing is about and what it is and how it imprints. So then why start, start the movie that, that way? So then why start in the room I with the professors? I think it just, I don't know why. Well, you need Professor Hobby. You need to set up that character. I, I thought this is just, expre- I, I, you know, when I walk into that movie, I'm like, oh, this is extremely confident filmmaking that we're going to start with a philosophical dissertation and then take the next two hours to figure out what love is. I thought that was, I thought that's where he was going. And I think I, we could have done that work for ourselves. Yeah, but I already went to, I already got a degree in philosophy. I went to law school. I went to a biblical school. I want to see Spielberg do it. Well, then let him show us doing. He tells us a lot. He tells us, and nobody can show you stuff like Spielberg can. So what's that about? It's that he wrote the screenplay and he maybe should not be writing screenplays. Maybe. I thought Kubrick wrote. Kubrick wrote a lot of it. I mean, I think he had a lot of the story and maybe he even had some of the screenplay, but he didn't have all of it. I wonder if he wrote that scene. Also, you never know what Kubrick was going to cut. Or what would have been in the third, fourth, fifth revision of the screenplay. I mean, this is why I'm not a big fan of Eyes Wide Shut. I think it wasn't done. I think he wasn't finished. <laughs> Do you have any idea the depths to which you can go on that question? Do you have any idea? As to whether he was finished? Do you know, like, any of the backstory there? You know, he died the day after he delivered it? Yeah. I thought he died. I thought he died before he delivered it. Delivered it, and then he died the next day. Then they chopped it up to take out all the secret stuff. Uh, they couldn't show oh, the that's public. Oh, the, that's the story. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, the whole secret society thing is very uh, no, rich in that I don't think he movie. had some special knowledge, but I think he just wasn't finished. My well, point it's definitely is, a movie about secret societies. Yeah, but whatever. The movie's not done until it's done. And very often, scripts get messed with rewritten and certainly pieces of them get end up on the cutting room floor when you're done shooting so even if kubrick did write that scene who knows what's interesting now that you mentioned the eyes wide shut i think of the rainbow under the rainbow which plays a role in eyes wide shut and you could view this movie as dorothy david is dorothy right goes be he he wants to end where he began right Uh uh-huh he wants to go home. Eventually, he meets these magical people who let him go home. Uh-huh. He goes on this long journey through the yellow brick road to find his way home. He picks up these characters, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow. Yeah. There's a lot of All these stories are the same. Right. Right? <laughs> 
So yeah, I might lose that. But I mean, again, you, you did have that. You but have... you had Joe. What was the point of having the lover doll if you're not going to get into love? Like that was the whole thing. The the dissertation. What is love? It's when my lips moisten. It's when my cheeks get red. All right. Well, then you have the lover doll. That's. Well, he does save David. He doesn't have to. He doesn't really have to hook up with him at all. He takes him to the Rue City. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do any of it. He could just, he could be like, see ya, kid. He doesn't have to help him. But he does. Seems like David and Teddy and uh, Joe have that AI. It doesn't seem David is unique I don't think so. Three. No, I think all those, uh, I mean, yeah, I think... All those robots have something, have more going on than people give them credit for. And like I said, I think the only difference between David and the other ones is that they are aware that they are machines and he kind of isn't. Is there anything, any movie Midrash, anything in here, anything you would, that should have been here that wasn't? I don't think so. I think it's a little bit overstuffed, if anything. I don't know if there's any scenes I would like to see that aren't there. Maybe like a whole, the whole army, like actually <laughs> the whole army of Davids walking around. They didn't have the, they didn't have the technology really then. I no, know. I don't know what more is, I would want to see here. I'm trying to think of it. No. I think it was all pretty much covered. Yeah, I know. I'm. I, I guess I feel philosophically unsatisfied, and that's how I felt twenty years ago when I saw this movie come out. It doesn't give you any answers. No, no, it's not like two thousand one, which just I feel like you just you feel like you've eaten a meal. You finish that movie, you feel full. But how you get to just hate? Well, how makes sense? Then that uh, Joe, uh, David, uh, I don't know what their motivations are. I don't really understand the extent of their tech. Uh -huh. It seems very fungible in a way that isn't a science fiction movie. Like Hal has certain scientific parameters. When you deconstruct Hal, he goes back to his first programming, which is Daisy. Okay, so when you take him apart, he goes back to the first thing he learned, which is Daisy. It's all very scientific. Here, Joe, I'm going to hold on to David. He's a good luck charm. You're a good luck charm. Or yeah, it's just, it's very fungible how their personalities can come out in ways that are not. Hal is a computer. Yeah. There's no question that Hal is a computer. Yeah. He just wants to serve the mission. And That's survive. It. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He just wants to serve the mission and the people, the human beings are screwing it up. So he's taken over. So you could say the same about David. Just wants to get to his mission, which is to be with Monica. Yeah, that whole thing is also weird, though. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I don't know why, I guess I'm not articulating it, but I feel, I still am sad that I didn't get to see Kubrick's version. Uh, it's just, it's just a thing that continues to stick with me. I, I think it would have been more interesting. I think it would have been more interesting on a philosophical. Well, 
Kubrick's movies do tend to be more interesting. This is just a fairy tale. I think your point at the top is. I think your point at the top is good. And if I had gone in knowing this was a fairy tale fantasy and not thinking it was science fiction exploration of the extent of human ability and knowledge, then all right, it's a fairy tale with some talking dolls. Fine. Yeah, the tone. I don't. Toy Story is not a science fiction movie, so I can feel for Woody. The tone isn't quite right. No, it's not because you don't. You don't. Am I watching think, Pinocchio or am I watching 2001? You can't do both at the same time. Well, or Clockwork Orange, you don't look at as a science fiction movie. Set in the future. No, it's definitely not a science but fiction movie. But you don't, you don't no, think about that. No, but it's some crazy-ass dystopian nightmare. Yeah. That's right. But you don't read it as a, as a sci-fi movie. That's, no, it's not set That's up That's not as your such. concern. It's not your concern as well. Milk bar? Well, what's a, what's a milk bar? That doesn't, why would they, I don't know, why are they talking so weird? What is this language? Where did that come from? You don't get hung up on any of that stuff. And I, so I think the problem in AI, it, it's tonal. The tone isn't quite right. It should be a little yeah. weirder and, and maybe more fantastic. And there are, there are bits of that. I mean, the Robin Williams, the Dr. No is, is like that. That whole Rouge City, much of that does kind of get there. The Flesh Fair actually kind of gets there. Is just very weird and, and, and fantastic. Like Willy Wonka. It needs to be more Willy Wonka. Yes. And if the whole thing was were, more Willy were Wonka more... and Hobby was more Willy Wonka and it was more fantastic over the top, I wouldn't be asking these questions about whether or not the current state of our existence with our attachment but to But Spielberg's technology. never done that. Well, yeah, but Kubrick has, has. No, Kubrick has. Well, that was the danger of putting this in the hands yeah, of Spielberg. Yeah, I don't know if Spielberg has ever really attempted that kind of tone. You know, no. No. Like, what if you had taken this... Oh. Well, I was going to say, what? what if you had taken this movie and given it to Tim Burton? But they did, and that was Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands is a creation. And way more fantastical. Way, because the whole tone is completely different. It's all It's a total fantasy. That's right. Which works. Because we're not asked to see Edward Scissorhands as a robot, which is what he is. And we're not given half an hour worth of exposition about where he came from or how he got to be. In fact, that's part of the mystery. We have no idea. We have some idea, but you know what I mean. This kind of tries to have it both ways to have it be well, both a fable well, and a fairy that's, tale well, that's Spielberg and a science a fiction movie and it but he kind of did that with E.T. didn't he? Doesn't E.T. work on that level as a bit of a fairy tale? It has that feel to it. No, E.T. is a total fairy tale. It's not yeah. science fiction. There's nothing science fiction about E.T. Well, it's an alien. He comes down in a spaceship. He... he I mean, they use a, 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 a speak and spell to communicate with a alien spaceship. You think a speak and spell? Brother, you have a speak and spell in here. Yeah. You think you could communicate with that computer so with maybe a speak the, and spell? So maybe the effects are too good. Um, maybe the science fiction, maybe the future is just too well realized. No, I think it's the dissertation. I think it's the philosophy that he pandered at. He should have left that and just had it been fantastical. All the way through this fantastical story of this boy, Dave, who was supposed to live with this family and then got thrown into Sherwood Forest and had to make his way back home. 
instead of getting into the nature of existence and love and all that William Hurt stuff. Well, we would have gotten there anyway. I think we would have gotten there. You get there with Edward Scissorhands. It's all the same stuff. Maybe. I mean, that is more Frankenstein. Maybe. I guess it's just not Rod Serling, and that's my beef, and that's not fair. It's not fair. No. I think we can agree this movie doesn't entirely succeed. No, but I like your point. If it's just a fantasy movie, and it, it it's and if it was depicted as such, then a lot of this other stuff, the inconsistencies or the... Uh, exaggerations I, I wouldn't bother but I compare it to surrogates because surrogates I mean, there's nothing fantastic about surrogates just total well, that, straight metaphor straight bland science fiction yeah. but that's science fiction is just like here's an idea let's throw some tech around the idea but that movie's just not even trying that hard but at least there's the idea but this movie's trying really hard this movie is is like I said super ambitious Great. but at least with bad science fiction there's an idea. And so I watch a lot of bad science fiction because I'm interested in the idea. It doesn't matter if it's low budget. At least somebody has an interesting concept and we're going to play it out on 90 minutes with whatever budget we have and see what we come up with. What's the idea in this movie? There is no idea in this movie. Yeah, the idea is... Pinocchio. That's it. That's the only idea. It's what, Pinocchio. What if you had a machine that could love and was uh, wanted to be a real person? What if you had a robot that didn't quite know it was a robot and all it wanted was to actually be a human being? How would we treat it? Yeah, that's the idea. It's just that... It's not executed. No, yeah, that's right. It's not, it's not addressed. That's exactly right. That's the question I thought I was going into, yeah. but that's not the question the movie addresses. Yeah, it's a shame because it's, it's attacked with almost too much talent. Everybody, it's like unbelievable. Yeah, I can, so you can't even quite tell where it's going wrong. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but like I said, I think it's just the tone is. I think you're right. Totally, it's off. Is is? I mean, off. were you were you crying when he's lying there with Monica at the end? Did you get choked up? No, there were moments where I did. I mean, when you see, when you do see David hurting, when people are just being mean to him, when you when you see that he's just. He's just like a raw nerve, that character. He's got no... He has none of the coping mechanisms of a human being. He has all of the needs and desires of a person, but he has none of the way... He has no way of socializing. Well, so that's ironic, because he's a boy, when he has no parents. So the parents, theoretically, would be the ones who would give him that socialization and all those skills. But because he's a developed product for parents... Well, uh, he's an eight-year-old boy in the beginning who behaves like an infant. If you think about it, he just wants... What is a baby... What's a baby's experience? You just want, want, want. You need, need, need. That's it. And he, you don't have any good way of perfect. expressing it. You just got it perfect. That's the problem with the movie. There's no character arc because that's all he. That's where he ends up. Need, need, need. Want, want, want. Praying to the blue fairy. 
There is no David character arc here. Because his needs don't change? That's correct. He begins wanting Monica, loving Monica, and that yeah. remains the case throughout. There's no change in his character. There's no arc. If he learned to want something else, that would be more interesting. Well, he might be more human then. <laughs> if, he, if he learned that the real love was the friends he made along the way... <laughs> Then, then it would be a real Spielberg movie. It would be, but maybe it would be more satisfying. Okay, good. Maybe by the end he was like, I don't right, need I Monica. So- I think we got somewhere with that. Oh, my gosh. I do. I think it took me a while, but I think we got somewhere with that. Very good. All right, so yeah, what are I the final, so. final questions? Um, well, we've already asked how Jewish. Not, not very. Two. I think is Two. I'll is give you answer. a two. And that's being generous. I think if you had to pick a most Jewish moment, it would probably be the flash fair. Obviously, the Schindler's List illusions would be hard to ignore. Yeah. Um, Is it in the canon? (laughs) Not in the Jewish canon. No, probably not. I don't know if this is a movie that you need to see. I would put other Spielberg movies as movies that one needs to see, and certainly other Kubrick movies. Let's hear. Which ones are those? Spielberg or Kubrick? Both. Kubrick's almost all of them. I don't know. Kubrick, I mean... Kubrick didn't really make anything other than really great movies. I mean, I would take out Eyes Wide Shut. But other than that, he didn't make that many. He didn't make them. The Killing, Strange Love, Lolita. Oh, see, this movie, I see Eyes Shining. Wide Shut is so much better than AI. I would take Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, just the Eyes Wide Shut is so much more interesting. Well, maybe I need to see that movie again. Oh, yeah. It's so much more interesting. Well, it is interesting. Um, okay. And but Kubrick what Spielberg made, movies need to be in the canon? Well, I think we can agree. Kubrick made four, five, six masterpieces. Dr. Strangelove, 2001. Strangelove, 2001. Forget about it. I mean, Shining. Barry Lyndon, Shining. Um, I never, Lolita. I never I saw have a Lolita. I never saw it. It's, <laughs> I mean, Lolita's, it's hard. It's hard to read now. It's hard to watch, but it is pretty great. And Full Metal Jackets also, the first half is, first is, half. is just, is just, the first half, absolutely mind blowing. It's wonderful. So, and Clockwork Orange, also a masterpiece. <laughs> That's very hard to watch, but it's a masterpiece. It's, I mean, and in terms of, you want to talk about a central character that's compelling. My gosh. So I think that's it for us for this evening. This has been The Jewish Frame. I'm Ben Chin. And I'm Dan Ain. And, oh, I do want to say, we talked about people who have talked to us about the podcast, people that we've seen and know. But if we haven't seen you and don't know you, you can go to thejewishframepodcast.com. And that's a good way to get in touch with us. Also, The Jewish Frame is now on Twitter at The Jewish Frame. I guess you can tweet at us if there are movies that you think we should do that you really like we'd love to have some some new ideas but until then thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time take care